Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello. Welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, I will be in dialogue with Elia Mignaghi. We will be discussing his autobiography and memoir, Escape from Benghazi, Diary of an Imposter, published in London by Valentine Mitchell, 2022. He is a telecom engineer based in London, who has shared his life story in a beautiful and eloquent memoir that I am absolutely privileged to be sharing with you today in a dialogue. Uh, I'm honoured myself, really, so I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance, and I'll I'll be delighted to answer any questions. And... uh, Well, let's start. To begin, please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the journey you would would go on later in life? Yeah. First of all, the the name is, of course, as you said, Elia Magnaggi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Actually, Uh, um, maybe should I pronounce it again? I, I apologize for the error. That's okay. You actually were almost perfect. You know, Magnaggi, that's all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I will, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. I will start it's, over. It's okay. Hebrew, uh, believe it or not, it is a Hebrew name, but it's sort of Italianized. Uh, the, the, my ancestors, who, it's in a book actually, but the uh, ancestors uh, go back to uh, Tripoli a few generations. Uh, Tripoli used to be ruled by uh, pirate, corsairs, pirates. And uh, they used to capture ships from all over the Mediterranean and they bring them to Tripoli. Uh, and because the, the, the ships were European, so uh, the, the, these corsairs were uh, Arabs and Muslims, they did not speak European languages, but the Jews there spoke all the European languages, so they used Jews to do it in, to, to interpret and so on. Uh, and um, uh, these um, pirates used to uh, place uh, uh, d- demand uh, uh, sanction um, uh, money anyway for for to free any of the capt- captured uh, um, people in in, the, in these ships, and often the Jews found some Jewish uh, uh, prisoners in these ships, and therefore they formed uh, um, uh, a, a, a sort of a, um, a fund. To 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 be able to pay for to, for the, to free these uh, uh, captive Jews who 
in the end, they settled in Tripoli anyway. Some were able to end up in, back uh, uh, in their own homes, whether it's Germany or France or Italy or or uh, Russia, whatever. Uh, but the, this fund was called Magen or Magen Megina, which is which is a shield or a fund, uh, and the people who go to the, uh, the the one who actually started this fund, which is my ancestor, and they used to call him Meganti, Meganti, my, my saviour. Uh, all different ways, you know, depending on your uh, which part of Europe you came from. Or the, uh, and so it, it, it started being Meganti, my, my uh, saviour, and Italianized into Magnaggi. Uh, so, but that's that's the origin as 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 I know it anyway. I, I didn't know my the origin of my name. I used to think it comes from Magen uh, from Nigun because so many of my ancestors are musicians and Hazanim and so on. Whether in Italy, in America, in Libya, they're they're all Hazanim and so on. And then it was the the secretary of the Spanish and Portuguese community here in London who corrected me said, no, no, don't you know the, the origin of your name? And that's the story he told me. So there you are. So it's Magnaggi. It was Magnaggi, but it came Magnaggi, Magnaggi. Okay, so I was born in Libya uh, and, and the town was Benghazi, although my uh, certainly my father was from Tripoli and part of my mother's family were from Tripoli. Uh, I, uh, uh, my, my, my parents were very uh, much involved with the Italians, the Italian government and, and uh, working and so on. And um, uh, the um, <laughs> uh, we had a we had a, a reasonable relationship with the Italians, and before that, we had a, my family had a good relationship with the Arabs as well. Uh, Libya used to be Ottoman, part of the Ottoman Empire, uh, but uh, uh, after the war, I, I'm jumping now. But after the war, the um, we will go into what happened during during the war, before the war, when they went into uh, the Jews were taken to concentration camps. But uh, basically, uh, after the war, there was uh, the majority of the Jews left. About ninety percent of them made Aliyah, and some three four thousand were left in Tripoli and Benghazi. And uh, um, we were also educated in Italian schools and so on. We had families in Italy. And um, so uh, there were no there was no schools uh, straight after the war. And my mother contacted the embassy and the Italian embassy and said, we, we need some schooling. So they opened up uh, an Italian school called uh, uh, Instituto della Salle. It's, a, it's quite well-known institution which... Uh, 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 which tried to get away from just teaching uh, children religion. Uh, um, they were Catholic school anyway, and they started teaching math and English and Italian and, uh, and history, etc. Proper schooling. So we went to this Italian school, um, and then um, I don't know how much uh, I need to tell you about the the beginning. So we started off in Italian school. Uh, 
we had a very good relationship with the teachers, so we're all friars. Uh, but uh, after, um, at the, by the age of uh, sixteen, there were no there were no more higher school higher schools, you know, universities or anything like that. And uh, um, I was going to go to Italy to, to university there. But instead, I was involved in a in a fight with some Arabs, and it's a long story. We we may come into it later on, but I had to escape um, uh, from Benghazi, and um, I ended up. Uh, I, I got a scholarship to Cambridge, uh, and not the university itself, but pre-university, uh, to uh, to study telecommunication. Uh, and uh, when I arrived in Cambridge, uh, escaping from Benghazi, a small Arab or Libyan uh, um, North African town, uh, and I arrived in this big, uh, famous Cambridge, and they sent me to uh, stay with uh, an English family. And as, when I explained to the uh, lady uh, that uh, I can't eat her food because uh, I've got to be very careful what I eat and so on. And she asked me, uh, why? What's the problem? I said, no, no, not a problem. I'm Jewish. And, and I was trying to explain. She said to me, you're Jewish? I said, yes. I said, but where are your homes? <laughs> so <laughs> I thought to myself, you know, I've just left Li Libya. I thought they were backward. Here in Cambridge, they asked me for my homes. Anyway, I said, so by the way, I, I don't wear them during the day. I keep them under the mattress. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that's uh, briefly how I left from Benghazi and into uh, Cambridge, into England, and then I stayed in England. Why did you write this book? What inspired you to write this book? What yeah, message uh, do you want to convey to your readers? Yes. Um, okay. What inspired me? Uh, the reason I, I wrote this book, first of all, um, I, I've, in the in the past twenty years, I've been giving a lot of talks, even on Zoom, to various communities uh, in 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 England and in Israel, uh, and uh, and every time I gave these talks, people used to say to me, "But when are you going to write a book about this?" Uh, because the, the 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 book is to do with uh, my escape uh, from from uh, from Libya, the reasons for for the escape, and what I did afterwards, and uh, how uh, the 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 Libyans tried to find me and get send get me back. And after that, I I traveled the world uh, doing engineering and. Uh, the struggle uh, in in keeping uh, as a kosher, you know, to eat kosher and uh, to keep Shabbos and so on, uh, it, it it makes interest in reading. And um, uh, the reason I did it is because I wanted people to know, first of all, that uh, uh, people tend to think that uh, the um, the Holocaust. Only happened to people in Europe. They they don't realize that, for example, the community in, in Libya, uh, they, they there was a concentration camp was run by the fascists and by the Nazis, uh, and um, and from from uh, the camp contained something like uh, I think nearly two thousand two thousand people, uh, of which four five hundred fifty. 
died in that camp, including the chief rabbi. Uh, and and after they were freed by the camps, then they had to uh, to fight or or try and overcome the problems with the uh, with the nationalist Arabs uh, who who. Um, where, where, you know, they they fought. They had to fight the Arabs uh, and and escape into. They had to make Aliyah. So it's it's quite an, uh, a a complicated story. But I found in Europe hardly anyone knew about the camps and so on. So I thought somebody has to write about it, and. Um, uh, the opportunity uh, came when somebody from my school who organized every year a, a Holocaust day, you know, and uh, we, we had speakers and so on. And one day they asked me to speak on, on, on this subject. And I realized then that uh, I had to do something more than just uh, speak and write a book. And during the lockdown uh, um, uh, Lockout, isn't it? Lockdown. Yeah, lockdown or, or, uh, because of the COVID, you know, at 19. I had the time to write it, so I had no excuse to postpone it. And we sat down and wrote it. And um, and with the help of my wife, who's an English teacher, and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and my daughter, who's a, a great editor, uh, I, I produced the book. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to say it's, it's, it's been very well received. What are the primary themes in your book? <laughs> the primary, look, my my primary objective, basically, is I wanted to show um, where uh, the school I went to was, although it was an Italian school and it had mostly Italian uh, students, uh, boys, it was a boys' school anyway, boys. Uh, but we got on very well, Jews, Christians, Arabs, Greeks. Uh, we got on very, very well. There was no problem. We we kept, we all had our own religion. We respected each other and so on. Uh, when I came into Europe, I found that there are divisions were were much much bigger than than I that we we had than I was used to. Uh, and I, I wanted to show that we we should be able to live together and respect each other, including the, the Muslims and the Christians, especially the three religions. Uh, we, we got on very well before, and I've always considered um, Christian Jews and Muslims are, uh, they, they all faith in one God and so on, believe in one God. And uh, we Jews uh, are the original um, um, one, you know, one one God, follow one God in the Bible and so on. And the others are the daughter religions. They they didn't go astray, but they were slightly different. They they have their own interpretations on, but by and large, we we have a, a common... Uh, belief and so and 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 I want to show I, I want to s- stop this uh, hatred uh, uh, inter uh, racial and interreligious hatred and I was hoping that I'm hoping that my book can can do that can show that that's basically the uh, 
But I traveled the world, you know, and and uh, it, it, the book shows you in, whether in Korea or in Mexico or in Thailand, uh, you know, we, we, if you want to, you we find you can get on well with the other people, and and you win the respect. Uh, everywhere I went, I had to try. I tried to win respect for for us Jews, and show them that we have equally respect their their religions. So. What would you like listeners to get out of our dialogue today? Ah, a good question. Uh, maybe, maybe the uh, the the uh, 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 feeling that they ought to buy the book. <laughs> to, but uh, no, but the, seriously, uh, sure. uh, apart from the fact, I, I'm hoping, and from what I hear, it, it is it's a. a uh, it, it is uh, it's not in vain uh, but that they'll find the book interesting um, uh, also um, it's funny it's, it's got it's got some uh, funny uh, and, and instructive basically you know for, for, um, if you, if I uh, look at the uh, reviews so far; uh, they've been quite uh, pretty good, pretty good reviews. Yeah. What was Libya like in 1911 when Italy first entered and colonized? How did Tripoli's uh, Jews perceive Italy's presence? The Jews in, in Libya go back. Uh, in, in fact, the book shows you that uh, it, it's got a, an incredible history that goes back 2,000 years. Uh, my, I come from Benghazi, which is the capital of Cyrenaica. But Cyrenaica uh, gets its name from Cyrene, which was the original capital. And Cyrene was a place uh, mainly uh, ma- um, um, the, the, the population uh, populated mainly by Greeks uh, and and um, and the local people are called Berbers. No, no. Anyway, the the Greeks and Berbers, and 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 Jews, but the Jews were sent there mostly by the Romans uh, for, uh, at the time of uh, what's his name Caesar, uh, and, and because the Romans trusted the Jews far more than the Greeks, and in 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 Cyrene they grew in number, great number. Uh, and they were highly respected. Uh, you, you have to read the book to, to get more details. Uh, but but the only thing is by uh, by the year I think forty forty four uh, then the, the Jews they rebelled against the Romans. This is in the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt. They joined the Bar Kokhba. And and the fight the fighting was so fierce that if you look up online, um, there's an Ita- a Roman historian called uh, uh, Dio uh, Dio Cassio. Cassio yeah, uh, you can look it up online. He he 
he actually states that the Jews killed 220,000 Greeks and Romans and they ate their flesh and drank their blood. And I think that's the first uh, blood libel. Uh, it, it should be. I'm sure it's the very first one. You can see that online. Well, obviously, it wasn't 220,000 Greeks and Romans, but that's quite an exaggeration. But it shows how fierce it was. But the reason I'm saying this is after that, all the, the Jews uh, uh, disappeared from, from Libya completely. And it, uh, even the capital of uh, uh, Cyrenaica was no longer uh, Cyrene, but it became Benghazi. It was first called, uh, um, uh, it, had a, it had a Roman name. Uh, and it checked with the Muslims when they with the Arabs when they moved in, they changed it to a name uh, Benghazi. Uh, for hundreds of years, there were no more Jews in in Libya. Uh, and then they started coming back through the Ottoman Empire and so on. And uh, right up to 1911, uh, there were the Jews were treated fairly well by the uh, Ottomans, the, the uh, Turks. As long as they paid the this tax, uh, which they call it uh, uh, the uh, dimi dimi tax, as long as they paid that tax, they were treated quite well. But uh, at the same time, there were quite uh, an em immigration into uh, Libya from from Italy, especially from Livorno. They they formed a number of communities around there because they had uh, business. Uh, in uh, all over the, Euro, uh, the, uh, the Mediterranean, and found Libya is a was a very good center. So when the the Italians uh, came into Libya, they found uh, a quite a large community of Italian speakers. And uh, any in any community, any country that uh, invades another country, they need uh, to form a new administration. And they found so many uh, ready Italian-speaking uh, people that uh, they put the Jews in a in a rather uh, very very good position. Uh, uh, bankers and run run were running the country basically, so they were in a good position. And so at the beginning, uh, the relationship between the Jews and the Italians and Italy was excellent. Uh, it went like that even in the early days of fascism. Uh, Mussolini was not badly disposed towards the Jews. At the beginning, he was very good with them. And in fact, there is a story that uh, when he came uh, uh, to Libya uh, on a visit, uh, he, the, the Jews in, in Tripoli uh, presented him with a, a, a big uh, silver menorah uh, and the Arabs uh, present him with a silver scimitar. But uh, my father, who was one of the, on the committee uh, of Jews who presented this menorah, uh, I, I asked him, uh, it was a funny question, really. I said, what are you gave him the menorah? What did you do afterwards? He said, I washed my hands <laughs> afterwards. Anyway, but he had a good relationship. The problem was that the Mussolini was hoping that the, uh, Jews all over the world, in Europe, in Britain, in France, in America, would influence their governments to leave him alone in his conquest of uh, 
part of Africa, like Abyssinia and so on. In his opinion, well, the British and the French carved Africa between them. So Italy had some rights as well. But uh, he, over, uh, uh, I think, overestimated the in influence of the Jews in Britain, in America, and so on. And when there was no uh, reaction by, uh, they, they, were, they were not successful. I don't, don't, I don't think they even tried to influence the government to leave him alone um, uh, with his uh, uh, invasion of Africa and so on. Uh, so he he jo- joined Hitler and the Germans. So once he joined the Germans, he became really fiercely anti-Semitic. And uh, one of the funniest, uh, I think, his funny thing is that uh, he insisted he came on, when he came on a visit to Tripoli, he found he arrived on Saturday morning on Saturday, and he found all the shops were closed. Everything was closed. The banks were closed because it was Shabbos, you know. <laughs> and he asked uh, Balbo, who was uh, General Balbo, who was in charge of Tripoli, uh, he asked him, what's going on here? Why is everything closed? And Balbo said, well, you know, it's it's Sabato. It's Sabato is Italian for Saturday. It's also it's also uh, Hebrew and Italian for Sabato, Sabbath. So he said, so what is Sabato? So, so why should it be closed? And the the guy, Balbo said, well, you know, it, it's the Sabbath. They don't open on Sabbath. And Isli was, uh, Muslim was furious. He said, you, you better force them to open. And uh, they wouldn't. So they took a few Jews out and started beating them in public. And they turned to the rabbis, what do we do? Uh, they Anyway, they tried to stop it, but uh, one of the things the rabbi thought might be useful said, well, uh, open the shops, but try and uh, put 30, 40% tax on Saturday so people will not buy, uh, spend any money. But it didn't work because they were running the banks and the uh, and the uh, uh, shipyards and so on. And uh, But it, it from then on, it deteriorated. Uh, it Deteriorated to such an extent that he wanted he opened up uh, uh, the the, the uh, uh, camps uh, concentration camps, uh, which was uh, there was a concentration camp about two hundred uh, kilometers south of Tripoli, uh, but uh, Balbo was able to convince Mussolini to leave the Jews. In Tripoli alone, because they cons- they uh, they run the country basically, and if you put them in camp, the whole economy of the country would collapse. Uh, and so Mussolini, regretfully, uh, reluctantly rather, allow allowed them to stay. Uh, it's a very interesting thing that Balbo asked when when he wrote to Mussolini, he said, "Well, why why are you bothering with the Jews? They're a dying race anyway." So, so, so Mussolini returned. Uh, he, he returned the message. He told Balbo, wrote to Balbo a letter saying, "You are right that the Jews control the country, the economy, but you are wrong about them being a dying race. They have a habit of <laughs> coming up again." Uh, so, so 
he was right in both both cases. Unfortunately, for the Jews of Benghazi, yes, she triply had something like four four thousand Jews because the majority there were forty thousand, but the majority went on well, Aliyah. But what remained was about four thousand. And they controlled the banks and the business and so on. But the Jews in Benghazi were just over uh, about 2,000, less, less than that. And uh, so he said, leave the Jews of Tripoli alone, but send the ones in Benghazi to get to come. And that's where the majority ended up in, 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 uh, from, from, Lib- from Benghazi. Uh, the story how how my family was involved is is another story which we might discuss if you wish. Yeah. Who were Sayyid Idris and Mohammed and Omar al Mukhtar? Ah. Inspired the resistance of Omar al Mukhtar and Sayyid Idris yeah. against Italy. How did they <laughs> perceive Libya's Jews? Uh, it's it's an interesting question. Uh, in fact, the if you if you've got the book, you'll see that the front page is called uh, uh, Omar Mukhtar Street. Uh, that's where I was. Uh, in fact, the, the the right in the front below on the right hand side, you see a balcony. That's the balcony where I grew up, where it was my house. And now there were two uh, rebe- rebels who fought they lived in the desert and they kept attacking the uh, uh, the italians uh, and, you know they had quite an effect on it but uh, balbo balbo's job was to try and uh, uh, and and fight them off and kill them off and so on idris was able to hide but mukhtar was caught and he was given it the choice of either uh, being uh, Hanged, uh, or or, or uh, accept the Italians, and and he wouldn't, and he he was hanged. But Idris uh, was, as I said, was able to escape and hide until the after the war, when the British came and took uh, started um, uh, governing Libya, and they put made him king of Libya. Uh, he was actually, both of them were quite well uh, disposed towards the Jews. And uh, Idris, in fact, you, uh, it, it was, you really have to praise him because um, during the, um, I, I think the 67 war, uh, or 56, well, there are so many wars, but 56 or 67, uh, in sixty-seven, he uh, hundreds of Jews were killed by by, by the Arabs, uh, the, the nationalist uh, youth, and and, Mus- and Idris was able to gather all the Jews of Tripoli and take them to a camp, uh, a, a military camp, for their own safety. He brought them kosher food, uh, 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 the. the uh, uh, a shochet, everything, everything they needed for their own protection. And when he was able to organize it with the Italians, then the Italians came and took them all to, uh, for their own safety, to Italy. Really? Yeah. And in, so, so, so I think, well, that's my own personal opinion. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But that's probably one of the reasons why Idris was. The, uh, uh, got rid of and and uh, Gaddafi took over, um, and but uh, 
he was he was quite uh, decent towards the Jews, and so did many of the elder the leaders and so on. There were there was no problem. Uh, there were attacks quite from 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 the youth and from uh, nationalists, but but from the population in general, it was not so bad. Uh, unfortunately, as I said the. Uh, Idris was able was uh, replaced by Gaddafi, who, um, in fact, would not allow the Jews come back, uh, and those Jews who remained in in Libya were sent away to uh, uh, to, to to Italy or, or wherever, and would not let them take anything with them except for tw- the equivalent of twenty dollars. That's all per per person. Uh, I, I was already in England in those days, and I pulled my family over. But so that's that's the situation. I thought I thought those two leaders were really decent people. Can you describe the photo in your book on page two hundred and fourteen? What is depicted? Can you explain it to us? Oh yes, that's a picture of uh, 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 then uh, then my grandchildren. There were twenty then. I've got twenty one now. It was my seventy ninth birthday, and they did that card. And in the card, it it goes from the oldest to the youngest, from the top, and it says "Happy birthday to you, Happy birthday to you." And then. Nonno, happy uh, happy birthday, nonno, because nonno means granddad uh, in Italian. So, grad, yeah, happy birthday, nonno, and then nonno, we love you. <laughs> so, I thought it was a lovely picture. They put all their photographs together, and, and they did, that was, it looked lovely, so I thought I'll include it, basically. has no other meaning except for emotional. <laughs> Can you tell us about your maternal great grandfather, Rabbi Raphael yes. Dabush? Raphael Dabush, yes. The the the, the name Dabush actually it's uh, it's another interesting story, um, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you maybe I'll tell that later. But uh, uh, he, he was a very well known rabbi. He he uh, he lived uh, to be in his nineties, and he did a lot of. Uh, Correspondence with Jerusalem for for uh, uh, yeah, for, for dinim, all kind of uh, uh, question and answers. Uh, but uh, what there were there were two problems the way he saw them many in, in the community of Tripoli. One is they used to gamble a lot. Men used to gamble, uh, uh, and uh, the, the other problem is uh, uh, two young kids were stung by a, a scorpion uh, and they died, you know, two brothers, uh, almost at the same t- same week when uh, one man was found, uh, he hanged himself in the shop because of gambling debts. And uh, uh, the, the rabbi said to, he, he said to him, look, if you stop the gambling, then, then I will do everything I can. I'll pray to stop this epidemic of uh, uh, of the scorpions and so on. And I grew up with the idea because uh, I used to see men used to hide or go out uh, out from town 
to do gambling. And I, I used to think something really wrong with gambling. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know why. And only... Yeah, I still do. Yeah, my wife still reminds me. But uh, 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 then I found out that I was told this story that people, because they promised that rabbi such a well-known, such loved man that they would stop gambling whenever they wanted to, they would leave town and go out with their friends uh, to gamble. So he—that's the sort of uh, love they have for him. But um, I remember uh, one other thing I, I was told is that my mother, when she, she was born, for the first four or five years, she, would not, she was not able to walk. Although the doctor said there was nothing wrong with her, she couldn't walk. And he used to come every day or once a week, whatever, and, and help her and say, Come on, her name is Esther, Estherina, they called her. Estherina, now, now, now put your foot forward and he was help her and you know, caress her legs and so on to, to, to walk. And when, uh, when he died, the whole community was out in the cemetery for, for his uh, um, the funeral. I thought the light is gone. For the funeral, and they left my mother in bed by herself, uh, there was the, uh, the cleaner or so, so the helper in the house was there, but my mother was asleep in the bed. When my grandmother, her mother, came back, she found her on the floor walking. And she said, Esther, 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 what are you doing? You're on the floor. How come you're walking? And all my mother could say, she was three, four year old, she said, oh, no, 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 no came. Uh, so what do you mean, no, no came? No, no came, he's got me out of bed. No, no, his grand, granddad, grandfather, which is the one, the one they were in, 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 shoe, in, in the cemetery yeah. uh, burying him, and apparently he appeared to her. Now, it's a four-year-old girl. What really happened, we don't know, but that was the words of the a four-year-old girl said, Nonno came to get me out of bed and, and made me walk. And the very strange thing is, I mean, when I came to England later on, I brought my family over, my mother as well, and she was fine. At up to about four or five years of her life before she died, suddenly she wasn't walking anymore. And the doctors here assured us there's nothing wrong with her. But she would not walk. She would sit in the... The only time she got up and walked, when my younger brother had a heart attack and he was going to the door, he lived in the same house, and he collapsed. And when she saw that from, from uh, uh, two doors away, uh, two, two rooms away, she heard, she got out of bed, she walked to the door, front door, got got him back to his to 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 uh, 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 his bed, or and and she yeah. she phoned the uh, the hospital to come pick him up. Then she walked. <laughs> so when, when there is a will, there is a way. But that's that's all I can say about uh, my. I, I never met him, my grandfather, but uh, he was very well known in the community. There's books about him and so on. Basically, that's. Uh, that's what I can say. What was it like to experience the, the liberation of Jadu by the British? Oh, Jadu. Yeah, well, uh, 
Jada was a, a concentration camp. It was a very small military camp, uh, Italian military camp. Uh, and uh, they they put these two thousand Jews in it, and uh, uh, it, they put each family was about one square meter, and they put uh, blankets in between, and they, each family had to live in that little space there, sleep on the floor and so on. Um, but anyway, the, the, from from I think seven hundred and fifty people in the camp, five hundred and fifty died from. Uh, lack of malnutrition, that there was very little food. Um, and some, some um, the Jews from Tripoli uh, were able to send sacks of food, a little bit of food, and the Italians allowed it. And, um, yeah, so it's okay. Yeah, so the, um, as I said, even, even the chief rabbi, uh, who, who was in his seventies? Every morning he had to get up, and uh, well, there was no nowhere to sleep. They only slept on the floor. You know, uh, he, they would drag him out to sweep the camp from all, all the camp, and and those who didn't do the work, they would be get beaten to death. You know, as I said, five hundred fifty died from malnutrition, beating, and 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 yeah. disease, disease. But. Um, uh, let, I'm, I'm thinking uh, there, there was a, there was one thing that the rabbi was able to to achieve, which is amazing. Uh, he he uh, insisted that the, the, the he told the, the the governor of the camp, the commandant, do whatever you like. We will not do any work unless you allow us one thing, and that is that he wanted. One of the uh, one uh, little, little hut. We want one hut to, to use for our prayers as a shoe. Would you believe it? They were allowed that, and they were allowed not to work on Saturdays. They say, if you can kill us all, we will not do anything we, unless you allow us Saturdays free uh, for the for the, our Sabbath and. And a, a place to do our prayers, and they allow them that. I mean, you know, the the I you I can't say that you can't say that the camp was anything like what they had in in Germany and so in Europe. But out of uh, seventeen fifty, there were about five fifty died, and uh, there was very little food, and so there were beatings. There there were some uh, real fascists. Uh, uh, the government wasn't that bad, you know, as far as I know. I mean, I didn't go there. Uh, but uh, but um, uh, otherwise, it's uh, when the British came and they freed them, of course, they, they were, uh, uh, the Jews received them with such uh, enthusiasm, of course. But um, there were also, um, with the British, there were many Jews uh, from Palestine, who volunteered with the British Army uh, to fight, and and uh, they were amongst these free these uh, who uh, freed who opened the camp gates and so on, and many of these uh, Palestinian Jews, who, 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 soldiers who, who fought with the British, many of them stayed behind and taught uh, the, the Jews their self-defense. 
and I, I gave him some uh, arms and so on. So it's quite a, quite an interesting situation at the time. Yeah, I don't know if I answered the question or not, but uh, yeah. Who was Fratello Amadeo? Why is he notable? <laughs> It's not really. He was one of my teachers uh, uh, from from the school, from the Institute Instituto della Salle, the Italian school. The reason that I've got a photograph of him is because um, about fourteen years ago, uh, we had uh, uh, a reunion, a school reunion in Rome, uh, where we are uh, very interesting. Where some of our Jews and non-Jews were all met in Rome at a reunion. And would you believe it, they even provided uh, a, a table, a separate table for the Jewish children, or growing ups by then, uh, and with those kosher food from a restaurant, kosher restaurant in Rome, all provided by the this uh, um, by this school, not far from the Vatican. The school was run by the Vatican. And, and uh, uh, Amedeo was my teacher, and he remembered me. That's why we were uh, there together and uh, embracing. Uh, he, he was uh, he was one of my teachers. Uh, there was uh, I'm not sure. We may we may need to uh, to to cut this fact uh, off, uh, take it off. But uh, one of the things I remember is um, we we used to have a very interesting relationship. They uh, in in a Catholic school you start the day. With prayers, and uh, uh, and after that they read a little bit from the Bible, and the prayers they knew that we would, Jews the Jews will not uh, go and 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 say Christian prayers. So they wrote, they composed uh, a universal prayer, which was fine. But one of the problems is that the there's a big cross as you right in front of you on the wall in front of you and we did not want to stand up and pray to that cross <laughs> and there was this reluctance uh, we did not want to upset the teacher because they're really lovely people and so on but uh, when we asked the rabbi what do we do about the cross he said it's a, you're, you're mad. He said, Why don't you just turn your head to the window and say the prayer? And come Monday morning, one Monday morning, we all, we all got up and we all turned our heads towards the, the, the window and we told the prayers and everybody was happy. And uh, uh, in, in, in the various discussions with the, we had very nice discussions about religion and so on. And uh, um, I, I remember getting up and saying to Fratella Medeo, I said to him, you know, uh, all you do in, in your in your in your uh, morning uh, uh, Bible reading, all you do is read about us. You read about King David, about Moses, about Abraham. They're all Jews. What are you teaching me? You're not teaching me anything. Uh, uh, so he said, um, well, you know, there are millions of people who believe in this man being, you know, man of God, just son of God. There must be something in it. <laughs> so my friend, and you, 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 I remember you asked a question, who is Meir Sayeg? Uh, he was my friend from from the school. He he got up. He said, "Excuse me." He said, "If you go by uh, according to quantity, you should be Buddhist because there are far more Buddhists than Christians. But if you go by quality, 
then you should be a Jew. <laughs> I always remember what uh, this what he said. It was it was fine, but it was all taken in in uh, yeah in, in good faith. Good part. Yeah, good part. Yeah, uh, it, we 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 had a, a nice relationship. So when we met him in uh, uh, again in Rome after, gosh, must be thirty years or more. Uh, yeah, more. I think that. Uh, 40 years uh, uh, absence from school uh, uh, when we met we uh, we really uh, hugged each other and so on and uh, it was lovely and that's why he was there but otherwise there's nothing special about him he was one of the teachers yeah who is Mumu? Uh -huh. uh, when yeah sorry Tap the screen, yes. Uh, I don't know why. I've got a very... Ah, that's a bit better, I think. Anyway, um, I, I I don't know if I've already said it. I had to escape uh, from... Did I say... You got a scholarship. Yeah, yeah. I, I got a scholarship to, to Cambridge. I, I had to escape from Benghazi because... No, oh, I didn't tell the story. Um, we, we had... Uh, uh, you know the way the way we we uh, the Jewish community. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, my wife is sitting there correcting me. Well, Mumu was the guy who left Libya with me. We 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 left Benghazi uh, to to go to Cambridge uh, to study. I I had to uh, I I couldn't go back because I had a problem with the law there. But he he did He's, he he spent his twelve months in Cambridge, and then he left. But we were we we shared everything together. We uh, we went to school. We, we it was we were very close friends. We were good friends before, and we are still very good friends right up to now. He lives in in Israel, and I live here. And every time we go to Israel, we go and visit each other. And, this just happened to be a very good friend who spent 12 months with me in Cambridge. What was it like for you studying at Gateshead Yeshiva? Which rabbis there had the greatest impact on you? Yeah. Um, I, uh, from, from when I, uh, when I was in Cambridge, uh, I was, um, I had a phone call from London, uh, from an Arab friend of the family, and he asked me to go to, K to go to London to see me. I had a message from my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And and the message from my father was that uh, you um, we can't send you any more money because they want you. Uh, they the government said to to him, either uh, you you guarantee his return, my return, or there's no more money. So I was in Cambridge. And uh, I was running out of money. I finished my course. I was um, I desperately wanted to learn more about my own religion, a bit of Talmud and so on. So I asked uh, some friends if they were, you know, uh, if they knew a place I could go to, and um, they got me to to Gateshead. Uh, and, and I had two years of wonderful years of, uh, uh, apart from the learning, which was very important, uh, I learned a lot of things and got to know the community. Uh, and the rabbis, uh, the, the, the rabbi that uh, 
uh, I really liked most is Rabbi Moshe Schwab. Interesting enough, his uh, nephew is American. He was quite a well-known rabbi in America. And uh, he was uh, in, in, in Gaiser with me in those days. But he was a higher grade, of course, an older person. Uh, I, I, I always wanted to go to the States to, to visit him. And uh, unfortunately, he just died quite recently. Shabab, you may, you may, you may, Rabbi Shabab, you, you, I'm sure the, the ultra-Orthodox will, will know him of him. Yeah. What was it like living through World War II in Libya? To, to what, sorry? What was it like what? living through the Second World War in Libya? <laughs> the Second World War is... Uh, uh, in Benghazi, we, they had to... Um, Quite often, one of the problems in Benghazi, especially, I don't know much, much about Tripoli because uh, it's a thousand, uh, it's about 700 miles away, but uh, the bombing affected us quite a lot. And uh, we, we had often had to rush into the shelters. And uh, after a while, when the, the fascists amongst the Italians, and they're not all fascists, of course, uh, but the, especially the fascist youth, they, they see these Jews coming to shelters and will kick us out, uh, out, no, no, no Jews. And so there, there was a problem. But of course, the, uh, the, the, many of them were taken to the camp as well. But that was after the war. Uh, not after the war, but towards the end of the war. But uh, it, it's... Uh, it was the same problem any anyone living in a city which has been bombed and involved in the war and so on. But uh, the, the the anti-Semitism didn't help. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so my wife is reminding me of a, of a story that uh, uh, one day there was bombing and uh, we were all rushed to the shelter. And I was a baby, I was uh, one year old or, or less. And uh, when they got to the shelter, suddenly they re my mother realized that uh, I wasn't there. Everybody was hoping somebody grabbed me. And, and they said, by the way, the, they didn't call me Elia. My name, uh, as known in those days, was Lillo, which is an Italian nickname. Everybody screamed, where is Lillo? Where is Lillo? And let's look around. <coughs> And they realized they, for, they forgot me, behind, left me behind. And my uncle, my mother's youngest brother, who was 18 then, he just rushed out despite the bombing and so on, and rushed out, got to the house, grabbed me, and luckily we both made it to the, to the camp, uh, to the yes. shelter. But uh, it was rushing in and out of the shelter and... Uh, trying to appease uh, those fascists uh, and and, and uh, the Arabs were okay because they were also suffering from the from the bombing and everything else but I don't have a personal memory of it because I was one year old or two year old at the time what were Mussolini's policies toward Libya's Jews right well um, the as I said before, at the beginning, he was okay. He, uh, uh, he, he was hoping that uh, they would influence the West to leave him, leave Italy alone with their 
pursue, pursuing uh, uh, Ethiopia through Abyssinia in those days, uh, and and so on. But uh, when he joined Hitler, he became a nasty piece of works, uh, and uh, he, he he couldn't do very much in Tripoli because the Jews were uh, they. They had a very, very important role in running the economy. The, 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 all the banks were run by them, the, the, the shops and so on, as I said earlier. Uh, it, the Jews of Benghazi were, of course, taken to concentration camp. Um, but um, the, the guy who was running the place, was, which was a major Balbo, he was quite... Uh, uh, he, he had high respect for the Jews. He tried to convince Mussolini to stop this, uh, uh, send them to camps and so on. And he reminded him that they, they form a very important role in running the economy, uh, as, as I said before. But um, otherwise, he was he was quite uh, quite reasonable. But nevertheless, they still uh, hundreds uh, died in the camps and. So, yeah. Can you comment on Libyan survivors of European Nazi camps, such as Bergen-Belsen, uh, yes. who returned yes. to Libya? What was it like for them yes. to come back? How yes. difficult was the readjustment? Yeah, uh, of the uh, the, the um, they 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 made the list. What happened was. Um, one day, um, the governor of Benghazi went. Uh, he asked. Uh, uh, he, he asked my uncle Frija. I think this is his picture in in, in the book. Uh, he was a, he was a close friend of the governor. They should go playing cards together, and so he loved the Jewish Jewish cooking. Would you believe it? Even the Italians wanted enjoyed uh, our cooking, and. Um, one day he called my uncle and he said to him, I want you to do one thing, and for that, your family will be spared. I want you to organize uh, the uh, the evacuation of the Jews, or, or the Jewish population of Benghazi, to this camp. I give you one year, every week, select a dozen families the, to 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 be taken gradually. Uh, my uncle was absolutely fuming. He said, "How dare you? How do you consider me? You think I'm going to betray my brothers?" And uh, he was able to uh, to make this governor feel really small. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, he went to the uh, shul. And he warned everybody, look, this is going to happen. So those of you who've got foreign passports or somewhere else to go, go. Unfortunately, one of the Jews from the shul went to the uh, governor and said, look, if you spare my family, I'll do it for you in three months. And he succeeded in doing that. Every, every week, a list of people, families to be taken to the camp appeared in the shul notice board. Amongst these, there were many Jews who had foreign passports, British, Italian, French, uh, German, not German, uh, Portuguese and so on. Uh, many of these Jews, instead of going to uh, 
from, instead of going to this concentration camp, was taken straight to European camps. And they remained there. Thank God, I think the majority survived it. And they, and they were all young, only the young ones. And they returned. They returned to Libya, and the British. They, uh, we've got photographs of them going into British uh, army jeeps from 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 uh, the concentration camp, Burger Bells or whatever it was, back to Libya. So they were freed by the British and the and the other uh, allies. But very strange. Even even all the way from Libya through Italy. To, to the concentration camp. The, I can never understand all the time, waste of time that they, they had to do and the energy and so on to take the Jews to camp. There you are. What was, it, what was it like living through the Suez crisis in 1956 from within Libya? How did Arabs and Jews perceive this event? What were the ramifications and implications yeah. for Libya's Jews? Yeah. Well, the, the ramification and and uh, it, it's basically that every time there was not just suits, every time there was any killings in uh, in Israel and Palestine, then uh, and uh, or, or fighting and so on, the the youth, uh, especially after the, all the diatribes from Nasser in the in the ra- on the radio with Nasser and so on, they would go and attack synagogues and their homes and the, the Jews in the streets and so on. This happened. Quite regularly, um, much more in Tripoli than in Benghazi. The Arabs in Benghazi were, by and large, reasonably friendly. You know, but, but the, the youth are more difficult to control. Uh, but you had that, and uh, one of the things that uh, uh, that I really do remember, uh, uh, and uh, still is, uh, clear in my memory, is that after the, I think it was the Swiss um, uh, war, uh, there was a, a huge group, it was on a Friday, uh, uh, hundreds of Arabs gathered together outside uh, the mosque after the mosque, the Friday prayers. And uh, uh, it, the, the street where I lived, as I said, it was uh, called Omar Mukhtar Street, which was one of the main streets. And uh, probably 80% of the the street uh, uh, Jews was occupied and Jews lived in it, you know, uh, majority of the street. Uh, and But at one end of the street was a big square, and in the square was the main mosque. On Friday morning, after the prayers, all these hundreds of people gathered with... Uh, uh, with knives and stones and uh, and all kind of arms, you know, except for firearms. I don't think that they, they had any firearms. And they were screaming. They were ready to uh, enter the Jewish area and 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 kill the Jews. Uh, and I remember we all locked ourselves in our in our uh, houses and put the locked the doors and we tried to find ways out. Um, the 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 one thing in our own house, we we lived on the first floor, and on the second floor there's just two houses in the block. Our first floor is us, and the second floor was the Egyptian consul, and his name is Amin. And and he whenever there was a problem, we would go to his house to to for shelter. He was a lovely lovely man. It was a, 
uh, this time, this particular time, he was back in Egypt because his wife was uh, ill and they, they were in Egypt. So we had nowhere to, to escape. And we were looking through the window and uh, praying and trying to find some way out. And um, as I said, the Arabs were screaming, uh, kill, kill, death to the Jews. And, that. and they were about to burst out. And suddenly, a group of el elder Arabs did they made a human chain and they blocked the whole street from one end to the other and they stopped the Arabs said stop it, leave the Jews alone they're our friends, they're our cousins and so on and they they put their, their lives in danger because they could have been trampled to these hundreds of, of uh, youth, you know and just by, uh, by miracle they, they gradually started listening to them and they withdrew and went away. But these people, I'll never forget it. They put their life in danger to save us Jews. By putting human chain like that, they could have been trampled. And that's what I can remember. That was in 1956. But nevertheless, there were quite a few Jews killed. And in, in 67, I wasn't there, but their whole family, uh, they, they were killed in Tripoli. The whole mother and yeah, the whole family, unfortunately. Even even a five-year-old who tried his, his father to run, 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 tried to run away, and this, he was chased and he was killed. There you are. And we still don't know where, where they're buried. Can you describe your personal friendships with Maltese, Greeks, Arabs, and Italians in Libya? <laughs> Can you describe your personal relationships with Muslims and Christians? Yeah, well, we, as I said, as 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 children and uh, or young people, we we had a a very good, a very very good relationship. Um, there are areas in the street where you uh, in the in, in the town which we could not go free uh, easily. I mean, it was free, but it was dangerous. But uh, in the main areas, it was okay. You know, there's always a danger. You find uh, someone mad, you know, or or has been listening to the radio, the the diatribes of Nasser and so on, and and he, he starts chasing Jews. But by and large, um, we grew to like each other, Greeks and Maltese and and and, and Arabs and. Uh, English and Americans, and we had a very good relationship. Uh, I had friends come into my house of, of, of Jews and Arabs and um, even Americans and uh, Maltese. A great friendship. It's not the most. We we found when we came to England, we found that, that, that there was a difference. You know? Yeah, but that got worse, of course. But uh, with, with the 56 war and 67 war and 72 things got much much more uh, much more different uh, uh, but um, you know people managed to, to live fairly fairly good life uh, but in 67 we lost, they were all thrown out there's no more Jews living in Libya now and yet there are Libyans who are asking the Jews to come back today. What were hospitals and medical facilities like in Libya as you remember them? Yeah, well, the the hospitals were quite good uh, until start the, uh, after, uh, after the war, they were mainly, uh, mainly 
uh, not mainly there there were quite a few Nazi doctors there you know this is lots of Nazi doctors were able to find were escape escaped and managed to find jobs in 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 Libya and other places and as you know in America South America and so on and uh, uh, I, I have had uh, some bad experience and so did my brother I uh, I injured my leg. Uh, one there was a huge um, um, splinter. Sorry, splinter? yeah. Uh, 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 well, a, a piece of wood actually got actually stuck inside my leg, uh, splinter. Uh, and um, my mother took me to the hospital, and um, we didn't know at the time. It was actually the one who saw me was a Nazi doctor, and he held my leg, or rather, he got two. Uh, Arab, uh, they happened to be Arab, uh, uh, maybe one was German, one Arab uh, helpers to help hold my leg and started using a knife, cutting it. And so now I was screaming. And uh, uh, an Italian nun came rushing, uh, who was actually an Arab, uh, uh, came rushing to my mother, said, Take him out of here. He's a doctor and so on. And uh, uh, so they took me out and my father, who at the time worked for the NAFI, the British NAFI, uh, uh, which is a military organization, uh, and they had their own doctor uh, hospital. And he was able to take me to a British hospital, a military hospital, and they saved my leg, which is uh, otherwise I would have lost it. So that's the sort of thing. But after a while, there, there was a time when uh, the... Um, uh, and America, Americans uh, took o- uh, took over the hospital, uh, and it was the seven not seven day Adventist. I think, it's, yeah, the seven day Adventists, and they keep Saturday, the seventh day, the uh, which they consider Sabbath. So when the Libyans saw that, they thought it was Jews, and said, "We, we don't want you here." They said, "We're no, we're no Jews." Oh no, you are. You, you keep Saturdays. <laughs> so in the end, I don't know how it was resolved, but uh, it shows you that it, they 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 like the Jews, and at the same time, <laughs> they don't. They don't. So, ambiguous, basically. But otherwise, uh, <coughs> uh, the hospitals were. At the beginning, were run by Italian doctors and and slowly some Egyptian doctors and and German doctors and so on. But we we managed. How was life under Britain's rule between 1943 and 1952 different than life under Italy's rule for Libyan Jews? Ah, yes. Well, the British, of course, they they were running the place, uh, but. Um, they were in charge and they were not in charge. You know, they, uh, overall they were in charge. When there were attacks on Jews, um, the British eventually they would interfere on help, but it always took time. So Jews get hurt, uh, and finally the British would come. But uh, it wasn't easy for them. <clears throat> Don't forget they were fighting the Jews in in Palestine then. <clears throat> so it was a problem. But uh, life was a lot better. A lot better with the British. Um, uh, so, but but by then, so many Jews left anyway. Made Aliyah. That uh, I mean, of the fifty, of the forty thousand Jews who were in Libya before the war, uh, 
of over 30,000 made Aliyah, you know, 35,000. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Excuse me. So, uh, it was okay. And it's, it's the, as I said, my father gained a lot because he, he got a job. Uh, when the British liberated the camp, uh, the Jaro camp, and they came, and when my father heard, and he, he was, went rushing to see the, to welcome the British troops coming into, into Benghazi where we live, <clears throat> and even directed them where where some of the food supplies from the uh, Italian army were where the Italians had run away anyway. This, uh, they were they were fleeing into back to Italy, and the British as a thank you. They put him in charge of uh, food food supplies in in uh, in the NAFI with the NAFI. This is, the NAFI is an organization which uh, um, is it's a military organization. Uh, it's a place where uh, uh, the military people find a bit of rest and comfort and food and that sort of thing. The club. Um, so and and. Um, when 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 uh, eventually I brought my fa my family over to Britain, uh, my father my family had no problem coming to England at all because of his past connection with the British Army. Yeah. Where did you go to school? What are your memories of your education? Well, as I said, I went to school to the <clears throat> this Italian school, which is run. By the Vatican, but it's not a, a religious school. But it 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 it, it run by by the Vatican. They did prayers and so on, but they left us alone. But it was lovely. We we had an excellent relationship with the Italian students and the, and the Maltese because they spoke Italian as well, and and Greeks, and we we had a lovely life and and a very very good education, and and through. Through that school, that I got the scholarship to get to Cambridge, and they, I, I happened to come top of the uh, of the year, and uh, as a as a present, uh, I got that uh, scholarship. So uh, it's it's uh, I've got excellent, very very good memories of, of that, and so <clears throat> even the kindergarten we went to a, a kindergarten run by uh, the the nuns. And uh, it was some funny things that happened, but uh, by and large, it was very good. We we spoke Italian at home anyway, um, and because um, we all ha had Italian background, and uh, so when the school opened up, it was great. Yeah. What does your book teach us about listening? About listening. <laughs> I don't know whether people will, will learn about listening, but uh, uh, maybe the main thing is we, uh, the, the whole the Jewish world, quite rightly, concentrate all its efforts into helping and remembering the Holocaust. That's fine, but it's only now they're beginning to realize the Holocaust was not only in Europe. In places like Libya, for example, uh, and, and other places, but in, in you know there was there were ex uh, extermination camps. There there were prob huge problems, and uh, um, not only that. After 
after the Italians and the Nazis <clears throat> ran away or left, we had to deal with the uh, problems with the Arab, uh, you know, uh, the Arabs' uh, problems with Israel and uh, and then so on. And uh, that reverberated into our communities as well. So so I'm, I'm hoping that people learn that uh, uh, not so much to listen, but well, listen, yes, but to read about other communities and what happens in other communities. Thank God uh, it's happening. And uh, I gave many talks even in my shul here and 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 all over, yeah, which made me in the end write, write this uh, book. How did the 1948 war, Israel's independence war, impact Jewish-Arab relations in Libya? How did yeah. you perceive this war from inside Libya? Uh, there is an interesting thing that, uh, for example, um, at one stage the uh, the, the Jews were forced. Uh, there were thousands of Arabs moved into the Jewish area in Tripoli, uh, armed with all kind of. Uh, uh, Stones and knives and so on, attacking Jews, and hundreds were were hurt and and killed. Uh, and and after that, the um, the the British were in charge at the time. Uh, no, no, they were not. They were not. Uh, no, no the, the British finished in 1952. Uh, anyway, so the, the um, Jews tried to call. I think that it was the British. They, anyway, they try to make they, they try to find a way of uh, of uh, <clears throat> getting some secure, some safety, and so on. And the best thing they could do, they got together with the elder Arabs in Libya, the the the, the, uh, the, the military people, not government people, but uh, the. the Religious Arabs, you know, they from from the, the mosque and Imam. so on. The imams, they got together. They found a way of of peaceful coexistence. You know, the the elder Arabs, the intelligent, the educated, and so on. They they were they were fairly good. The the relationship was quite good. Unfortunately, we so many were were. Um, influenced by the radio for coming from Egypt, Nasser, and so on, and uh, in a way you can understand them when when there is war with Israel. Uh, what can the only thing they can do is to attack Jews. That's their com contribution. <clears throat> but uh, otherwise, uh, life life for Jews was quite good, apart from the attacks. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you so tell by, the by story? 19... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say by 1967, Gaddafi just expelled everybody and uh, giving them, uh, allowing them some twenty, twenty pounds, uh, which is about twenty-five dollars a person. That's it, you know, and took all their possessions. Although at at the in the end, just before sixty seven, when when he was toppled, uh, I think after sixty seven, when he was toppled, um, uh, <clears throat> no years later, sorry, years later after that, uh, 
uh, he just before he was stopped yes he listened to his son his son was a uh, was very intelligent and uh, he, he wanted the Jews back and managed to convince his father to try and invite the Jews back and Gaddafi was thinking of bringing the Jews back to Libya giving them back there or some of their uh, their possessions but before he could do that he was stopped and, and killed so maybe just as well. Can you tell the story of Sarah's abduction? What happened to her? One we we were one day we I remember as a kid we, we went to shul and I found everybody was quiet, very, very silent, very in a bad mood and uh, something, something that you could feel in the air, something went wrong. And when my parents took us home and I said, what's going on? I said, never mind. And they, we were told that this girl, a little a 12-year-old girl has been abducted and taken to somebody's home. What we found later on is a, 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 a young Arab fell in love with her and he, and he managed to convince her to go to his house and they wouldn't let her come, go back to, come back to us. And uh, <clears throat> I called her Sarah. I can't, I can't mention the real name uh, and I can't remember anyway, but uh, Sarah is not her real name. Uh, and uh, my mother, <clears throat> the people didn't know what to do. They, they tried, they, they were trying to I call on the authorities to see if they can bring her back. It wasn't easy. Uh, my mother undertook uh, to go. Uh, when we found out where she was staying, she went to that house. She could have been beaten, whatever. She's, she was a very, very brave woman, my mother. And um, she said to them, she went in, I'm not leaving here without her. Oh, they come what may can beat me, can do whatever you like. I'm not leaving here. She argued with them and she spoke very good Arabic, my mother, and um, and uh, she would not said she would not leave. She said she argued with them on 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 is uh, on Muslim law. She said the, the Muslim, I know you will not, you can do not force somebody. To change religion without, uh, you know, be, be, she, she's too young to understand, and you can't, you can't marry her until she converts. You know, she was arguing with them, and um, would you believe it? In the morning, um, two young, two two lady, two women, one lady, lady, and the other child, were walking uh, through the Arab area. And into came to our house with the child with her, and after that she the family sent her straight straight to Europe or somewhere for her safety. But uh, yeah, the, she 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 saved her. It's amazing. Yeah, I think I, I wrote uh, a story about her in the, in the book, the full story. Yeah. Can you describe the document? Can you describe the document on page 125? What is depicted there? 125, I think it's the, I think that is my, my naturalization doc. <clears throat> that is what we call in, in Britain, the naturalization document. 
uh, if you want to become British, you have uh, you, you once they accept you, you pass whatever test, they give you what is known as a naturalization document. You become British, and uh, if you read that, it says particulars for name Elia or Jacob McNargy, known as Elia, and then the address and so on, nationality of uncertain nationality. <laughs> uh, I, that's why I call myself uh, um, uh, um, an imposter, because I, I don't even have a national. I didn't even have a nationality. I wasn't Libyan. I was really Italian. Our family were Italians, but uh, the uh, my parents uh, and they gave up their nationality when in the Italian passports they printed of Jewish race when the Nazi uh, fascist came to power they recalled uh, all their passports the, the Jewish passports and they printed in red of the Jewish race and they, they, my my uncle my parents said you can you can keep it I'm not uh, 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 and uh, so so uh, the the British they put down of uncertain nationality because I had no nationality. <laughs> I came here with a stateless document. That's what that document is. It's a, when I got that document, I could call myself British. Until then, I was stateless. What are your memories of Mexico City? <laughs> it's just I just went there on on business. I work for a. A, a company, a, a, one of the largest uh, en engineering companies in the UK. Uh, uh, I was working with them as well as uh, an American company called GRS, General Railway Signal Company. And uh, I was sent to Mexico on a fi fact-finding tour, uh, technical fact-finding, together with uh, members of British industry. And... Um, I had to come back, uh, spend a week there, come back with knowledge uh, and, um, uh, about the Mexican uh, economy and uh, the the uh, to, to to write about the possibility of uh, increasing the uh, the export import export the, between Britain and uh, and uh, um, and Mexico mainly on on the engineering uh, on the railway engineering. My my job was on the railway engineering. Uh, you call it a railroad, I think. <clears throat> and uh, lucky for me, because I um, I got uh, in. I needed to find kosher food in Mexico City, and eventually I found I found the telephone number of uh, a rabbi there, who was. Absolutely wonderful, you know the way he treated me. He um, invited me to his home, and, and so when when he learned what was what what I, would, what I was there for, he he asked uh, members of his community, any of them knew uh, would was able to help me. By the time I left a week later, I came back to London with a a big. Uh, you know, uh, a whole load of uh, documents uh, about uh, facts about the, the Mexican economy and the Mexican railways and so on. And the uh, the uh, my my uh, chief engineer here uh, couldn't believe it. I could do all that in that one week. <laughs> but uh, you know, we thank God. We if we stick to 
your religion and, and the, the kashrut and uh, keeping Shabbos and so on, it does help. Amazing. But there you are. That That's the main thing I can say about that. I found them very friendly. Um, even even uh, I remember was well out. Uh, I, I was having a meeting uh, some 10, 20 miles from Mexico City. And uh, I was looking at my watch. It was getting ready. It was getting close to uh, Friday, you know, Friday afternoon to the Sabbath. And I told my hosts, I really got to go home. And so they put a car at my disposal and uh, and a driver to take me to the shul. Uh, and um, it was uh, it was lovely when when I felt it was almost it was already uh, Shabbat, you know. So I told the driver, look, I can't go with you anymore. I need to walk the distance. It was about a mile or so. And he was driving alongside me, showing me the way <laughs> until I got to the shul. It was very funny, but uh, and I met the rabbi there, and they were lovely the people. There you are. But no, nothing of a consequence, really. Why did you leave Libya? When did you leave Libya? Where did you go? How did you travel? How difficult was it to get out? Well, the the reason I left, um, well, first of all, I got the scholarship. But uh, uh, I had a very urgent <clears throat> reason to leave because there was, um, what happened was, um, uh, one day there was in our community what they call uh, it happens once in uh, in ten years whatever there was a day they called it Toma uh, Dibor a fast of speaking you know and it was a, a probably a, a your site of some great rabbi and people wanted to have, to have play respect and go to shul early and. And do learning and and and, and reading the the the, the, the uh, psalms and so on, and the people were told it's a tomadibur. You come to shul, not to speak. No speaking is allowed until the end of the fast of speaking. So, a group of us from the school needed to wanted to go to shul as quickly as possible. The problem was that. <clears throat> The Italian school, if you imagine the, an arc, the the uh, the Benghazi uh, was like an arc uh, uh, surrounded by the by the sea. On the outside of the arc is the sea, and our school was at one end of the arc, and the <coughs> the shul was at, at the the Jewish area was at the other end. We normally, for safety and security, we should go around the arc. To uh, the long way around, but we want to go quickly to school, so we we went <clears throat> across the arc, the short route, uh, across the diameter basically, and uh, unfortunately, in the middle of that is is the Arab section, uh, the, the the so not not the wealthy Arabs and people without jobs and so on with, with prop, and we we we. We thought we'd take a chance, and we were okay halfway until suddenly we came to an area. Uh, there was a, a bombed area. 
Libya was suffering from the bombing, you know, the the Arabs also were suffering from the bombing of jobs and so on. A lot of <clears throat> and we we were there were about ten of us uh, with a few kids. And as we were walking across there, we came to this area where was, uh, as I said, a bombed area and some 20, 30 youths were playing football and so on. And they saw us, <clears throat> they started attacking us with stones and so on. And we just told the, the youngsters and so on, just carry on walking, forget they will be throwing stones at you, just ignore it and carry on walking. We thought we were out of danger area until I, I heard uh, cry, screaming behind me. And now when I turned my face was my younger brother with two youth on top of him. And, and his nose, his face was all blood, bleeding and so on. And I literally saw red, saw blood. And uh, and I turned around to get with my other brother and started beating these two, you know, uh, I don't know where I found the strength, but the anger and and the left left, left arm they're bleeding um we we managed to get home and the the the, the when we got home towards the following morning we had a phone call or my mother had a phone call from the police station saying we need you to see me that's me we need him to come to the police station we thought just to be a witness for what happened to my brother. When I got there, there was only one policeman there who started beating me, saying, go home. Uh, I said, what do you mean home? This is my home. He said, no, no, you're, you're Italian. Go home. Didn't want to say. <clears throat> anyway, he started beating me and so on. But uh, another policeman walked in and uh, and he saw what's happening and he stopped it. Uh, when I got home, they said, go home now. We need, We need you uh, uh, later on, uh, we, we'll call you. It was all uh, about beating that uh, Arab or, or those two Arabs. Uh, nothing to do with witnessing and so on. And uh, people informed my parents that uh, I've got to leave, or I'm gonna somebody's gonna come and stab me, or I'll end up in prison and they'll never see me again. And uh, which is why I need to I, I need to uh, leave. And with the, uh, yeah, with, with the, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, the, the uh, invitation to, to go to Cambridge to study, that was a good opportunity. So I, I managed to get, uh, they got me a ticket out. I changed my, I didn't change my name. They, they, everybody knew me at the time, uh, Lillo, which is a nickname, an Italian nickname for Elia. And uh, the passport was made in the name of Elia, which is, I hardly ever used it, just in case somebody would recognize me, uh, you know, looking at the passport. I got quickly to Rome, and from Rome I got to Cambridge, and then and then they tried, they caught up with me, but uh, that's a long story. But that's why I left. And uh, it's a shame, really, but uh, because I missed it. But uh, eventually I called all my, I managed to find work for my parents here in London and my brothers, and we, we made life here in England. Who was Mr. Nichols? Why is he significant? Who? Mr. Nichols. Mr. Nichols. Oh, oh, Mr. Nichols. When, when uh, in Cambridge, 
I was told that uh, my brother was, my father wasn't able to send me any more money because uh, the Libyans they've asked for my my return, and he was advised that not my my father's letter said do not come back, uh, and and uh, I was left seventeen with no money, and uh, not been told not to go back, not nowhere to go back to. And, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, I befriended this uh, lovely, lovely Jewish guy who, who had a shop in, in, right in the center of Cambridge. And um, he, he used to come to shul, not, not frequently, rarely, but uh, he was well-known, but a from, from guy. And uh, I, I used to go to him for advice and so on. He really, uh, at one point, said to me, if... The British government insists on you going back. I'll adopt you, because at seventeen I was able. He would be able to adopt me, so he helped me very a lot, quite a lot. He was really all like a father to me. Can you describe the photo on page one eighty seven? What is depicted? Page one eighty seven. Oh, here I've got it here, bro. <laughs> Uh, oh, yes, yes. Ah, yeah. Um, this is an Italian organization, which is the center of documentation, Jewish uh, documentation for for, for 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 communities that do not exist anymore, uh, all over the mainly the, the world of Italian influence, like Libya and so on. And and it's it's uh, based in Milan, and they've got uh, it's almost like a a, a modern um, um, museum, or if you like, uh, uh, yeah, for archives and so on. And two ladies were sent from there, and they came to London to interview me. Uh, we spent nearly four or five hours, you know, and they. they they asked me all kind of questions and and took uh, took my uh, picture, well, video. The whole thing was a video, uh, and and that, that they came from this and they've got a little booklet with this. So it says "Centro di document, documentazione ebraica contemporanea" means the center of of archive of Jewish Jewish archives from Jewish the com, Jewish communities that do not exist anymore. And that's in English is mapping living memories, the Jewish diaspora from Libya across Europe and Mediterranean. And a few years ago, we went to Milan to have a look at this, and uh, I saw all this, all these documents. I I don't know why they called me. Um, they they wrote or, or they phoned here the community, members of the community, and they thought I was the the best one to. To have uh, this documentation, to, to give all this information, so they spent about five hours with me. Yeah, and it's, that's that's what it is. There's a little booklet which, which is there in existence. Yeah. Who were your closest Muslim friends in England? Can you tell us about some of them? <clears throat> I do mention one or two Muslim uh, friends, and not, not so much friends, are people I I met in my work and. Uh, and I was amazed. Uh, it, it proved my theory, basically. One of them, uh, well, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, one one day we we had we had a problem because we are in food business. If if you know, uh, one of our clients complained about uh, uh, something that we, with our orange drink. He he thought it was uh, it wasn't fresh or something. Anyway, and um, eventually we had a phone call from the health authorities. Uh, they want to come and look at the factory, and uh, and to see about about this complaint and. We know from experience, once the health authorities come to any factory, they go back to find something. And uh, we were quite worried about it. Uh, and when, when uh, One day, we were waiting for two weeks for this guy to come. Eventually, he came. When I, I saw him, and he, he, I could see he was a Muslim. And I thought, oh, we're going to have problems here. In fact, he turned out to be a wonderful friend. And he not only he was a friend, he was actually from Libya, not only from Libya, from my own town. And he went to the same school I went to. <laughs> so it was an incredible coincidence. It was a great friend. He, he said to me, don't worry about what happened uh, uh, between this and, and this uh, um, Jew, Jewish guy who complained about the food. He can see there is nothing wrong with the food, and so on. And uh, he, he, he made here is a Muslim who made peace between two Jews. <laughs> that, that's not strange. I don't know what is, but he, he was a great guy. And then later on, the uh, there is another story of another Muslim. We we uh, ran out. We 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 had a problem with with uh, uh, we we bought uh, a big machine made a mistake and uh, we did not check that we had the money for it and we had to borrow money to to, to have that machine and um, we phoned the local authority what we call the council here the local authority we knew that they said that they had uh, a, a department that gave loans to local industry and um, we phoned, and there was one person called us back, and um, he said, you're Jewish, aren't you? I said, yes. Oh, so I thought that means that's it. Forget the loan. We're not going to get it. He said, I want to come and visit you. He came to see us. And to my surprise, he, he was such a friendly guy. He was a very important person. And he not only gave us a loan, he gave us at a very good interest. So I asked him what his story is. It's amazing. He was he was born in Pakistan. <clears throat> he went to the States, to America, um, to study at university. And he felt very lonely. I, I expect a Muslim alone in the in, 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 thing. What was it? Uh, the, the town he went to, not uh, Chicago. He was in Chicago. He felt very lonely and uh, very depressed. And he climbed up uh, the wall and the uh, which lake was it? Uh, the, the, the Michigan Lake, and he, he jumped. He was going to commit suicide, and a man saw him and came running, and he jumped and helped him up and brought him. He was a rabbi. He said he was a, a young rabbi. He said he couldn't believe it. Here's this rabbi. He took him to the shul there. He helped oh. him dry out. So gave him food. And said he didn't care whether I was a Muslim or it just was another human being. And he was so impressed. And he made a, a vow to himself 
anytime if I see a Jew needing any help, I'm going to be the first one to help him. And he saw we, we needed some a loan. He was ready to go help us with the loan. Not only that, he, he told his two, he came, he, 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 he became a doctor, and uh, no, not a doctor, financial representative. His two daughters were studying to be doctors. And he said to them, when you qualify, you go first and work, uh, volunteer in Israel for a while. So here you are, another Muslim uh, who's a very, of a very well-known family and so on, who just, you know, to, to him, a Jew or a, or a Muslim, whatever, it doesn't matter. And he considered Jews are brothers anyway. So I, I thought I'd write about him. So it's 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 interesting that I should meet accidentally these two lovely Arabs and you know no problem and this is what I want to teach that's what the book is for to show you that we help anybody and they and Muslims all Christians that's the way it should be but I'm hoping that uh, people will read this book and uh, there is a, there is a many many very interesting stories. It's nothing to do with uh, being uh, uh, from Libya or Arab, whatever. But because uh, I've been all over the world, you mentioned Mexico City. I was in, in interesting in Korea, for example. I was involved in a big project uh, with the company called Hyundai. Uh, it's a job, in fact, a railway job in Iraq of all places. And uh, our our. Uh, the partners were this GRS from America, so we two of us. But uh, uh, I, I was in, in, involved uh, involved there, um, and uh, sorry, I've lost my train uh, train of thought now. Um, why did I mention Korea? Oh yes, uh, I, I was. Uh, I remember the uh, my. The, the head of the, the managing director of the Cambridge General Railway Signal of my company picked me to go to uh, to Korea to to uh, on a fact finding uh, in mission, and with me was uh, another a manager of another guy in in a, a different sort of line of business, but still uh, of engineering, but still part of GC. We went together to Korea and uh, to to meet uh, someone who's going to be our agent and so on. And um, as soon as I arrived there, the agent said, well, after we have a meeting and then I've got uh, I've, uh, arranged for us to go to a nice restaurant for a meal and so on. And I said, oh, no, Yves. So I, I said, look, um, I, I, you know, I'm vegetarian, really. I, I, I don't. You don't need just to send me the, you know, I have my own food. No, 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 no. He said you, 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 you can have vegetarian, whatever you want. And and the, my colleague, he came to me. Said Elias, says we're here on a very delicate mission. You're gonna spoil everything. Can't you ask a rabbi to to let you off this time about kosher food? The thing you just the rabbi said you don't have to eat kosher. You know, I, so I thought if I don't do something here. And, or if the mission fails, I'll be blamed, and that Jew, my Jewishness will be blamed. So I said, "Listen, uh, Mr. Kim," I said, "Can I tell you? It's the truth is nothing to do. I'm not vegetarian. I just because I'm Jewish, 
I only eat, and I didn't finish. He said, he said to me, you're Jewish? I said, yes. Oh, he got up, he embraced me. He said, oh, I'm so pleased to meet you. He said, he said to me, my sister lives, she she lives in, in uh, um, where was it? Uh, uh, no, no, yeah, in, in not Toronto. I keep thinking of Toronto. Uh, what town? I said, Chicago. Yeah, in Chicago. So my sister lives in Chicago. When she arrived there, she felt very lonely. And she, the best friends are all Jews. I met them. They made her so welcome. So they're all Jews. From that moment on, I was, whatever I needed, he was there behind me. He said, don't worry if you want kosher food. We'll get kosher food. Whatever you want is not a problem. This colleague of mine couldn't believe it. You know, Here we are because of that. And I thought my problem was kosher food. He said he made me. He, this guy became my best friend in Korea. He did so much for our company and for myself. And that's all because of kosher food. Wow, what a story. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it goes on because uh, I know we're running out of time, but he came to, to, when he came to London, I took him to a kosher restaurant and he loved, he loved the kosher food and so on. He, he kept taking some of it to, to Korea and so on. It, it was, uh, we had a wonderful relationship. Yeah. As we bring our dialogue to a close, um, yeah. would you like to? Tell us how you're spending your time now that your book is over. Are you working on anything else as far as writing? Are you busy with regular life? How are you devoting your time now that this book is behind you? Well, well first of all, I, I've now I've got many many people or guys, groups and so on who want to hear talks about the book and so on. I've got to do that anyway and go to, go to Israel and all this and uh, um, another thing I am planning on is uh, I've taught my children my grandchildren so on they got used to uh, uh, children's stories uh, I I, I, uh, I tell a lot of stories children's stories and they love them and one of these days I'm going to put them in a, in a book so, so maybe that's the next project <laughs> Amazing. I wish you the from adults to children. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck. It sounds amazing. Thank you very much. Lovely talking to you. It was an honor to speak with you. you. Uh you're such a noble person. You're really at Sadiq. Oh. It's such an honor to learn so much from you. Well, thank you, but uh, you, you know, you're making me bigger than I am. But if you're ever in London, please call. You'll be very welcome. Absolutely. To our listeners, uh, I am your host on the New Books and Jewish Studies podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I've been in dialogue with Elia Mignaggi. We have been discussing his new book, his memoir and autobiography, Escape from Benghazi, Diary of an Imposter, published in London by Valentine Mitchell, 2022. He is a telecom engineer based in London.